You know, we're all capable of doing so much more than we even think. We can be the ones who light the spark of inspiration. We can draw attention where it is needed. And you know what? We can be the ones to affect change. Hey, everybody, I'm Bill Schaefer, along with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Bolder. And over the next hour, we're going to learn how to figure out where to begin by meeting a rabbi in Florida who's ended up becoming a cult figure by connecting his love of religion with his passion for the ocean and the incredible college students he teaches. He is Mark the Rabbi of the Reef. And he is one really cool dude. I I hope I can say that. Also on today's program, folks, we've got a stay-at-home mom uh, who saw a need and then stepped up to get involved. And what she did that turned into a movement that has now grown to over 80 volunteers helping students at over 50 elementary schools will blow your mind. But first, there is a medical therapy out there. It's proven to be more powerful than pharmaceuticals in preventing a wide number of age-related issues. Are you ready for it? It's called exercise. It's so effective that one esteemed college professor has now created a course out of it. He'll explain what activity can do to your biological clock. Ordinary people, extraordinary lives. It's all growing bolder. Two of my favorite topics, uh, both of which I wrote about extensively in my book, uh, Growing Bolder, Defy the Cult of Youth, are the power of our belief system and the importance of exercise as we age. And, you know, the truth really is that we are age, aged less by our years and more by our belief system. Uh, research has proven that those who have a positive view of aging live on average seven and a half years longer than those with a negative view. And even more importantly than that, it's not just that they live longer, their quality of life is, is much better. Uh, and while there never will be uh, an elusive fountain of youth, the closest thing that there is to that is movement. It's regular exercise, uh, which is why I am beyond excited to talk to today's guest. Dr. James Hicks is an uh, integrative physiologist with a PhD in biomedical sciences. In fact, for nearly 30 years, he's been a professor of ecology and evolutionary biology at the University of California in Irvine. He's an internationally known expert who has authored over 120 articles on topics that range from the evolution of the vertebrate heart to the physiological responses in microgravity. Uh, I, I think it's fair to just surmise it by saying this is one really smart dude. Uh, and as impressive as all of that is, I have to tell you what caught my attention is a new class that he developed and is now teaching at the University of California in Irvine. It's called Exercise as Medicine. It's a college class that examines how and why physical activity can actually work better for us than pills. So uh, let's get with us as Dr. Hicks joins us now. I'm assuming from Southern California. Is that where you are, doctor? That's right where I'm at, right in Irvine. Right in Irvine. Well, thank you so much for your time. I I know you're really busy. And obviously, I, I love what you're doing. I love that you're aggregating and presenting all of this compelling evidence in a class for college students because... You know, while we at Growing Boulder are always saying it's never too late to make positive changes in your life, the truth is the earlier you start, right. uh, the, the better off you're going to be, right? Uh, exactly right. You know, one of the things that uh, 
I like to tell the students is that we can't change our chronological age, but we can actually adjust our physiological age. You know, we've known for a long time, many, many studies have shown that we peak in terms of our physiological capacity around 30 years of age, and then there is a decline. And some of that decline, I think previously, people used to think, well, that decline was inevitable, and you just declined along some slope. But what we know now is that that slope is not fixed. It can be adjusted, and we can improve our physiological capacity primarily by remaining active, physically active throughout our entire life. And it never, it never ends. I mean, you can be sedentary most of your adult life and suddenly start to exercise regularly and you will improve physiological, your physiological capacity and function. So uh, that's why I wanted to start this class and, and express to students that not only is physical activity important when you're younger, but it's important throughout your entire life. And it really does act as, uh, as you said in the introduction, almost like a fountain of youth. You know, I, I just love every bit of what you just said. And, you know, I've looked at a lot of these studies and, and I think the truth of the matter is, and correct me if I'm wrong, that a lot of these studies that we all paid attention to, a lot of these studies that really just supported the ageist belief that, that we do uh, by necessity decline at a, at a specific rate in terms of muscle mass and bone density and everything else. Those studies were done with populations of sedentary adults. And, uh, you know, growing bolder, it, it, we're, we're big fans of the national senior games. Not that we care who wins any of these events, but because these are communities of people that are that are really rewriting the, the research. Right. No, exactly right. You know, one of the major advances in exercise physiology was that for much of the history of that topic over the 20th century, people thought or physiologists thought of the muscles as the engines of locomotion. And so a lot of focus on performance, sports performance, and how we did in athletic competition. But about 25 years ago, people began to uh, study and investigate the fact that there are a variety of small molecules that are released from the, from the skeletal muscles. And initially, these were called cytokines. And these cytokines actually would had effects not only on the muscle, but they would actually leave the muscle, enter the bloodstream, and have effects on different organ systems. We wow. now know that those, myo, those cytokines are called myokines. And there's something like 300, 400 different kinds of myokines that are released during physical activity. And, and we... And they have positive effects on the brain, on bone, on skeletal muscle, on our GI tract. So uh, what we know now is that the skeletal muscles are not simply just the engine of locomotion and movement, but they're actually acting as an endocrine organ, having positive benefits on all of our other organ systems. And so that discovery, I think, of myokines and their impact on other organ systems actually started to then filter over into how exercise could be used as a medicine or thought of, of, of as a medicine, having real therapeutic effect. And so exercise not only helps prevent disease, but it actually can alter disease trajectories. And that's what I focus on in the class and how regular physical activity can be used as a medicine. Uh, you know, it's just fascinating stuff. And, um, you know, in, in cancer research, I know there's, there's a whole new field of exercise in terms of cancer treatment. Can you right. talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a, it's really, you know, they call it exercise oncology. 
And there are numerous now of studies that show the benefits of exercise, again, not only in terms of reducing the risk of cancers, but also the effects of exercise during uh, after diagnosis, during therapy, and during and 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 uh, and surviving cancer. For example, the three best actually cancers that have been studied have been colorectal cancer, prostate cancer, and breast cancer. Numerous studies have shown that regular physical activity after diagnosis of any one of those cancers, colorectal, prostate, or uh, uh, breast cancer, end up increasing survivorship. Uh, they also uh, there's a recent study showing in men who have been diagnosed with prostate cancer that if it's metastatic, that regular aerobic exercise can re slow the progression of metastatic cancers. So this field of exercise oncology is growing and major cancer centers around the nation like Memor Memorial Sloan Kettering, the Mayo Clinic, UC San Francisco, uh, City of Hope, they all have on their websites a lot of information now about the importance of regular physical activity in terms of, again, not only risk reduction of, 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 of having cancers, but also how important it is in terms of mitigating the side effects of therapies like radiation and chemotherapy and immunotherapy, but also improving outcomes. And as I tell my students here at UC Irvine, Exercise is not instead of medicine, exercise is acting as an adjuvant, something that adds to the, to standard medical practices and can actually improve your outcomes and change the trajectory of the disease. So uh, that's, that, that's really a lot of very exciting things going on in exercise oncology right now. We're talking with Dr. James Hicks, who, who really is, uh, you know, the, the voice for this particular time, a voice we need now more than ever. And Dr. Hicks, it, it's great to hear you say that you know, the, the medical profession, the medical industry, the medical experts are starting to understand this because, you know, I think for many years, uh, it's it's not been ageist in a way that, that, that was intentional, but it's just so easy for a lot of our physicians to, to think that beyond a certain age, uh, little is possible. And, you know, I, I read somewhere a quote that I love. Uh, if you've seen one 85-year-old you've seen one 85-year-old. Uh, you know, it is a very diverse population today, and there are many 85-year-olds that are in better health than 45-year-olds. That's absolutely right. In fact, if you use, if you look at cardiorespiratory fitness, uh, again, I mean, I'm 67 years of age. I, I actually, my form of exercise that I enjoy is cycling. I go out on a road bike five, six days a week. I go out and I cycle anywhere from 120 to 150 miles a week. And I'm out there, you know, keeping up with guys that are, you know, in their 30s and 40s. And I think that that it, it just says that you you don't lose this capacity to improve your over, overall physiological function. There are things that happen as you age that, uh, for example, your maximum heart rate, it declines as you age. But. Other parts of your cardiopulmonary system, your heart gets stronger, your blood, you grow more blood vessels, you upregulate the energy uh, uh, processes in your muscles. So all of those things can improve or continue to improve if you regularly exercise as you age. So you uh, said you're absolutely right. One of the things, though, that I think in terms of medicine that we have to do and that I'm talking to my colleagues here about at UC Irvine who are in the medical school and in the cancer center is we have to get to a place where physicians feel comfortable in prescribing exercise. 
I know that the American College of Sports Medicine has really been pushing this idea because a lot of times physicians will say to their patients, well, you just need to in, you know, lose some weight or eat better uh, and do some exercise. And that doesn't really mean a lot to an individual to say, well, mean some, do some exercise. What, what do they want me to do? And I think we have to get to a point where physicians really integrate when they say do exercise, they actually say they actually prescribe the exercise. They might say, well, you know, for your particular situation, whether you're a type two diabetic and you're trying to control it through diet and exercise, whether you have breast cancer, prostate cancer or some other form of cancer, they need to be able to say this is the kinds of exercise that I want you to be doing and then start to treat it just as you would at taking a medicine. We we will for prescribed a, a medicine for a particular condition. We tend to take it regularly uh, as prescribed. And we should think of exercise and physical activity being the same way. Uh, and so as I see, and, and this is really how I think it was going to be important to integrate then exercise or physical activity with medicine. When physicians start being trained to understand it's the importance of it and also able to actually prescribe it in a very systematic way. We ended up talking a lot about prehabilitation because I've come to believe that it's aging's ultimate no-brainer in the sense that it's a given that as we age, we will all face a series of setbacks of one kind or another. And to a large extent, the type of interventions that are made available when we experience those setbacks and the extent and speed of our recovery afterwards will be determined uh, by our overall fitness at the time. And, and a lot of people, I think, wrap their brains around that. Now they think, okay, it's not really exercise, it's prehabilitation, it's gonna enable me to keep going. Does that make sense to you, sir? It, it makes absolute sense, you know, that the better, the, the better overall level of fitness, the, the more resilient you will be in terms of dealing with as you said, these kinds of setbacks that we all deal with as we age. And so it is, I, I love the term prehabilitation because it really is uh, helping you deal with some of the things that will occur during life and the better shape you're in, the better cardiorespiratory fitness, the more you move, the better you're going to be in terms of dealing with those. So yeah, I, com I completely agree. You know, older adults need to hear this. Uh, the other thing that we've found that, you know, since you're, you're, you're kind enough to chat with us is that we're all afraid of running out of money before we run out of time. And another way that we've found a message that resonates in terms of getting people to move without talking about exercise is, is to talk about the health wealth connection and the fact that, uh, you know, the two are inextricably combined. You know, you're sitting in a seat in the middle of all this. Um, does that make sense to you as well, sir, that, 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 that health care is going to get better, but it's going to get more expensive and anything that we can do uh, to eliminate or uh, diminish our need for health care is going to help us as we age? Again, I completely agree with that. I mean, for example, if we look at the uh, if we look at sort of uh, at the diseases of Alzheimer's or dementia, uh, right now, the United States in the United States, we spend about $350 billion a year on care and treatment of Alzheimer's and dementia. By the year 2050, it's going to be estimated $1.1 trillion in healthcare care expenses just for that for those diseases. Now, exercise hasn't been shown to cure Alzheimer's or dementia, but exercise, regular physical activity has been shown to increase cognition and to increase memory uh, and to improve memory. And it does that because when you exercise, the brain releases a 
a compound called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And that brain-derived neurotrophic factor increases neurogenesis, that is the production of new neurons, and synaptogenesis, that is more connections between neurons, in a very important spot in your brain, the hippocampus. And the hippocampus is vitally important in memory and the relation and being able to uh, make relationships between different memories. There have been numerous studies showing that regular physical activity can delay the progression of memory loss and might be improved, might actually delay the onset of Alzheimer's disease or improve those conditions. Folks, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Dr. James Hicks, who is a professor of ecology and evolutionary biology at the University of California in Irvine. He now teaches a college class about exercise as medicine. And it's a course that should be taught at every medical school in America. So bless you, sir, for, for doing it. Uh, uh, you know, really, really uh, Im important stuff. Do you believe in, the, in, in, the, in the, the notion of compressed morbidity? Can we reduce the period of disease and disability and decline? I definitely believe in that. And as we age, we want to be healthy agers, vital agers. We want to be able to you know, play with our grandchildren and go for bike rides with them and go bike rides with our wives or our partners or significant others and go for hikes. And that is all going to be possible by being regularly active and staying active throughout your whole life. The other thing I do like to tell students is that, you know, there's things can still happen to you as you age. And if even if you've been physically active, people who are physically active, many will still get cancer. Uh, there will still be accidents and things that can happen that can slow you down. But again, staying physically active provides you more resilience than it would be if you had not been physically active. So uh, I completely agree with what you're saying. Uh, a perfect message. There are no guarantees in life. Bad things can happen to good people, but uh, you know why not do what we can? And there right. is a lot that, that we can do to uh, increase the possibility that we're going to be able to live big, bold lives. Let me wrap this up with one final question that I always like to ask uh, you know, big brains like yourself. From your experience, what's the key to a, a successful life? What, 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 what's the key to a meaningful life of engagement? Um, I, I know it will sound only, only uh, uh, cliché-ish, but you, you pursue things that you are passionate about, and, uh, and you do that, and hopefully you're able to pursue those and make a living at it. I mean, I, uh, I have loved my and continue to love my career in academia where I can study things that I'm interested in and, and hopefully uh, uh, convey that to other people, not only in science, but other people who are in the lay public to talk about uh, the things that I'm passionate about. And uh, to me, that's, that's the most important thing. In, in, enjoy, be passionate, be engaged, pursue your passion, and... Uh, and at the end of the day, I mean, as we've been saying all along, try to remain physically active. Go out and garden, go for walks, go dancing, uh, go for a swim. You don't have to put on tennis shoes and go to a gym. You can just, uh, you can just be physically active every day. Passion and purpose is what continues to get us out Good. of bed as we age. Dr. James Hicks, Good. thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And, and uh, you know, God bless you for what you're doing because it's a message we all need to hear uh, and comprehend uh, and embrace. So, so thank you, sir.
Up next, we're talking to a rabbi who's inspiring the next generation of eco-warriors to dive right in and protect our oceans. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Florida Blue Medicare, official sponsor of the Epcot International Food and Wine Festival this year, offering unique experiences and special activities, both in person and virtually. More information at floridablue.com slash magic. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingboulder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Boulder. You know, we are all capable of doing so much more than we think. We can be the ones to light a spark. We can draw attention, and we can be the ones to affect change. The problem is, many times, none of us know where to start. And the answer is usually right in front of us. Instead of trying to reach out to everybody, sometimes it works best just to reach out to whoever we have influence with, our friends, our, our neighborhood, our community. Yeah, start local, Bill. I think that's the takeaway. And our next guest did it in a very ingenious way. In fact, after learning to scuba dive, he fell in love with the the underwater world, the ocean. Uh, he saw all the damage that's being done by endless sources of pollution. And protecting the sea then became his cause. As a rabbi for uh, Suncoast Hillel's, a campus Jewish organization in uh, the Tampa St. Pete area. He knew exactly where he could go to look for help. He would reach out to his fellow Jews to help repair the sea. It's an amazing story of inspiration, one of motivation, and and ultimately one of activation. So let's welcome uh, the Rabbi Ed Rosenthal to learn more. Rabbi, how are you doing today? Morning, Mark. Morning, Bill. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having uh, me. Well, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, l- let me start with this question. I guess a big, broad one. Um, you know, as a rabbi, what does Judaism uh, have to say uh, about people as individuals making an effort to contribute to the community? And, and even when it seems like there's really not much that one person can do, stepping up anyway, because I, I think to some extent, isn't the reward in the effort? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Judaism has a, a tenet called tikkun olam which is the concept that when, when God created the world, and I leave that open, I'm not talking about whether it's six days, seven days, or 15 and a half billion years. When God created the world, it was perfect. But then humans got thrown into the mix and we sort of messed it all up. So the idea of tikkun olam is that in addition, as part of our Jewish way of life, part of that is to repair the world, to repair the damage that humans have done. And some people do it through social justice um, opportunities. Some do it through helping the homeless, the poor, the needy, um, and others do it through the environment. It's really an interesting organization that that you've created. You know, I was thinking about this, and the ocean really hasn't been a major rallying point in the Jewish religion, I guess, since Moses parted the Red Sea. So tell us... (laughs) Why do you feel or what do you see as this great connection or bond between Jewish faith and our waters? Well, it's interesting because every faith community, whether it's Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, Sikh, Baha'i, whatever, everybody has an an association to the environment because every faith community has this sense that the world comes from the divine and there's this connection. With regard to the ocean, however, 
humans are terrestri terrestrial beings. And the ocean seems to have gotten short shrifted, if you will, um, from the faith community with regard to our environmental awareness. You know, it says in Psalm 95, the sea is God's. And then later on, it says, but the dry land was given to humans. So it's as if we're all good and we're all comfortable on dry land um, because that's ours. But when it comes to the sea, that's God's. And we're a little uncomfortable with it. You know, we only see the surface, but there's so much that is beneath it. And we also don't see the impact that we have. We see if the rainforests are burning. We see, um, you know, litter on the ground. But humans pump 200 million gallons of raw sewage into the ocean every year, and we don't even see it. So I think it's the out of sight, out of mind. And in the Jewish community, in, in every faith-based community, um, I want to raise the awareness that, as the psalmist said, the sea is God's. Um, and we should treat it as such. You know, if somebody came into my synagogue or my neighbor's church or mosque and vandalized it um, or desecrated it, we'd be in an uproar. But here we pollute that which is the realm of God, and we don't even think about it. Well, we obviously, you know, all are personally invested in, in, in turning this around because I think we all understand that uh, to a large extent, the future of, of our species is dependent upon the health of the ocean. So, so God bless you for what you're doing. I don't think anybody will argue uh, with the philosophy, the theory, the intent behind it, but, but in reality, Rabbi, how is it going? Uh, what are you guys doing? Well, you know, we really, at, on, on our campus communities, we have a, a club. People think it's a cute social club. It's not. It's a very important, hardworking environmental group. It's called Scooby Jew. And it's a, uh, <laughs> it's scuba divers, <laughs> scuba divers. And we have adopted the St. Petersburg downtown reef and the students go out at least once a month, uh, weather permitting or our boat permitting, we go out more and they clean the reef and we remove fishing nets and fishing line and anchors and ropes and plastic. And there's, it's just a never ending battle. It's always there. But to give you an idea, Five years ago or six years ago, um, I was teaching my students um, at Eckerd College in St. Petersburg about the Jewish tradition of Tashlich. Tashlich is on Rosh Hashanah, the new year, after the service, we go to a body of water and we throw breadcrumbs into the water to symbolically cast off our sins to begin the new year with a clean slate. So I was teaching my students about Tashlich and one of the students said, I said, Rabbi, you know, there's already more than enough human sin in the water why don't we take some of it out? And with five students, they organized a, a cleanup along the waterfront on campus. Um, Eckerd has a beautiful mile and a half waterfront property. So it's a great place. The students clean the waterfront. The next year we had 10 students. And then they said, let's go big. And we reached out to all of the synagogues in the Tampa Bay area. And every synagogue organized a team. And we had about 300 volunteers cleaning waterfront locations in conjunction with Keep Tampa Bay Beautiful and Keep Tampa Beautiful. The following year, the students said, look, look where we've come from, five students, let's go bigger, go home. And before the pandemic in 2019, we had 49 different groups in the US, Canada, Israel, and Argentina cleaning waterfront locations. And they removed, we had over 850 volunteers and they removed thousands of pounds of debris from the waterfront. 
And this year, we're already planning it. It's September, and we already have 34 teams in the U.S., Israel, and Norway, Norway and Palau that are going to take part. So the goal is we want to get the entire Jewish community out on this one day to observe a different kind of tradition, a new tradition. Rather than casting ourselves into the water, we want to take sin out of the water. Talking with Rabbi Ed Rosenthal, who uh, started with a very small ask and has created a ripple effect that, as he just mentioned, is spreading not just across the U.S., but even farther. Talk to us a little bit, Rabbi, about how you motivate people. I mean, you've chosen the ocean. The ocean is huge. And and I can imagine people listening to you thinking, well, it sounds great. And sure, we can clean up a little bit. But what difference am I really making? Talk a little bit about how one leads to the next leads to the next. And before you know it, you are making a significant difference. You know, it reminds me of the old starfish story where somebody's after a huge storm, a man was walking along the beach and there were thousands and thousands of starfish. And he look, keeps walking through all the starfish. And there's one guy and he's standing there, he's throwing starfish in the water. And the man looked at him and he said, what are you doing? You, you think you can make a difference? There are thousands and thousands of starfish. You can't save them all. And he, and he picked up a starfish and he threw it back. He said, just save that one. And that's the key. It just takes one. You know, when you go to the beach, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. Pick up some trash. I guarantee there is always trash on the beach. Pick it up because if you don't, it's going to end up in the ocean. And if it ends up in the ocean, it's going to kill a turtle. It's going to kill a, a dolphin. You know, they, these, that's where they live. We have to respect them. We give them the same integrity that they deserve for their own sake. There's so many people doing wonderful environmental work um, in the ocean, but the faith-based community And we need to inspire them by saying, the sea is God's, treat it as such. You know, when when, um, Notre Dame caught caught fire a few years ago, they raised millions and millions of dollars overnight to preserve it. And it's a wonderful historical cultural site, and it deserves to be protected. But when it comes to, to the ocean, which from my perspective is holy, Uh, no less holy than a human construction in the form of a synagogue or a church or a mosque. The sea is holy and we have to treat it as such. And so I'm trying to inspire through the, through our tradition, through the classic source texts, the the Torah, the Kabbalah and the Talmud to show that this is an intrinsic part of our tradition. I I felt that college was the last line of defense um, because this is the first time in these young adults lives that they have true independence They're away from home. Everything they did before coming to college uh, from a Jewish perspective for their Jewish life was done because their parents basically made them do it. This is the first time where they make the decisions for themselves. And I have to ensure that, that everything we do is inspiring for them, that we don't waste their time. We have to provide meaningful opportunities, purposeful opportunities. And in doing that, hopefully we ensure the next generation. Well, as we start to wrap up, let's talk a little bit about where you are in life right now. And, you know, it seems that you, know, you said you were 12 years uh, congregational rabbi and now your your time with Suncoast Hillel's. Uh, uh, are you still getting better at what you do? Do you still have the passion that you did when when you were young and, and looking forward to to your future? How has your age now uh, colored your ability to be even more effective at what you do? 
Wow, that's a great question. Um, by constantly trying to see the world with new eyes. You know, I take students, I take students to Israel every year on birthright. It's a program for, for Jewish students. And every year, they have to go to the same places. If I just went for myself, I'd say, oh, yeah, Jerusalem again. But every time I go, I have to see it through the eyes of the students who are seeing it for the first time. And that keeps the wonder. And when I work with my students um, with Tikkun Hayam and Scooby-Jew, I have to recognize that new students are coming in constantly. And while I may feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over teaching new people, the reality is I have to see what I see and hear what I hear through new eyes and ears. And if I can't see it like that, I'm not going to be able to inspire them. And so it's, it's about not becoming jaded. It's about recognizing that every day is new and every day has something new to be done to make the world a better place. And I, I think that's really um, how I keep the passion. So Rabbi, you are a man of, uh, of many stories, of many morals, of, of many ways to communicate to people. Um, from your experience, is there one biggest, broadest takeaway uh, that you can share with us uh, about life in general, something, uh, you know, about living a life that, 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 that is significant and important. What can you share with us? Try to leave the world better than you found it, you know, make it do whatever you can. And it doesn't mean you have to change the world. Um, the Talmud says, whoever saves a single life, it's as if he or she has saved the entire world. Um, have an impact whether it's on your family or your friends or your neighbors or your students, make the world better. It's really that simple. You know, uh, it's not about us. It's not just about us. It's about doing good. I always tell my students, I want them to do well in life. I want them to be successful. I want them to really do well. But more importantly, I want them to do good with what they have. So that's what it is. It's not about us. It's about making the world a better place. Well, one thing we're great at is uh, complicating things, aren't we? Making them bigger and tougher and more difficult than they need to be because what you're telling us is really it just comes down to the people in your world, the places that you go, the community that you live in. Be a good person. Be a mensch. Be a good person in life. Do good things. And boy, a lot would happen if a lot of us did that. Our thanks to Rabbi Ed Rosenthal for more information and to learn how you can help in the fight that he is waging to protect and restore our oceans. Please check out his site, repairthesea.org, and you can learn a lot more about him there as well. Our thanks to Rabbi Ed Rosenthal. Up next, a stay-at-home mom who saw a need in her community. And by stepping up, she not only made a difference for students in her area, she actually started a movement that's now spreading around the state. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... The Alliance for Lifetime Income. Protected income from an annuity can help cover essential expenses in retirement, giving you the freedom to live the life you want. The right financial professional can show you how. Learn more at protectedincome.org. And by the Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park 
wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. You know, there may be no role in our society more important and less understood than that of a caregiver. And it ends up more times than not, you end up getting thrust into the role, having to look after a family member with little or no training or preparation. But finally, Mark, that is beginning to change. And thank goodness, because there are like 53 million caregivers in the U.S. now. Christina Barcelona is Director of Care Programs for Guidewell Connect. She serves in the role of community specialist, which essentially is somebody that members can reach out to for advice. Christina says she discovered one of the most common caregiver concerns is also one of the most important to deal with. I was an executive director of an assisted living facility for over 10 years. And one of the things that I've learned from families is that sometimes guilt plays a really large role in caregiving. We feel guilty for something we did, something we didn't do. Maybe we got a little bit upset or we feel we weren't enough. But every time I encourage them to know that they're doing the best they can and they are perfect just the way they are. And it's time for us to say, it's okay to forgive yourself because your loved one knows, even if they can't express it, that what you're doing for them is the most beautiful thing in the world. Barcelona says that programs like hers at Florida Blue Centers throughout the state are now providing resources that have never been available before. And as the number of caregivers continues to rise, they hope to provide the kind of support that can make all the difference for all of them. If you'd like some more information, just go to growingbolder.com slash Medicare. Well, one of my favorite kinds of stories now, this is an interesting one that shows no matter who you are or where your interest might lie, it's always possible to find a way to make a difference. In this case, it's a woman who saw a need in her community and decided to step up herself to try to change it. Folks, even when you think the odds are against you, Colleen Gonzalez shows us sometimes you just got to try. You know, if you're ever feeling sad or lonely or feeling like you don't matter, what you do doesn't matter, put your hand out and help somebody else up because you have it in you. You have the ability to care for others and you might think that your gifts are insignificant, but you're wrong. Like any other mother, Colleen Gonzalez wanted the best for her children. But where other schools had running programs, hers did not. Where some recruited volunteers, raised funds, and created programs, hers did not. What she couldn't understand was, why not? What I did know is when my kids were in elementary school, and I would see what would be happening across town, that what was happening at our school was different than what was happening in other schools. So it just caused me to ask questions, talk to the principal, try to figure out why things were different. Here's where Colleen was different. After things were explained to her, that wasn't the end. It was just the beginning. I have learned that 
there's really a solution to everything. And although things might seem intimidating, that if you go to the table with a plan and ready to really think it out, nothing is impossible. That's when this stay-at-home mom sprang into action. She started listening to administrators and teachers to understand their limitations. And then by reaching out to local merchants and empowering other parents, Grow Central Florida was born. Grassroots Outreach Within. We want to make sure that kids, no matter what school they come from, no matter what location they're at, that they have what they need. And in a few short years, they have grown to a remarkable 80 volunteers reaching out to 50 elementary schools, supplying free running shoes, refurbishing playgrounds, hosting events, and offering all kinds of much-needed equipment. Each of the carts, we have just things that hopefully will inspire the kids to get out and just be move, be creative, come up with their own games. But she realized she was also supplying something else. Whether you are a teacher, a social worker, a coach, these people really go in with a desire to serve our community. So we're giving them the tools and really I think it sparks that fire in them, you know, why they went into their job. It's to really care for people. Caring for people is what creates community, and she was floored by how many others were willing to step up to help. What do I feel about Central Florida? I feel like this community, as we might feel it's really big, but it has a small town heart feel. There are so many great people in our community that are doing amazing things. There's so many beautiful interactions that happen every day. Interactions like this one at Hungerford Elementary School in Eatonville. Grow Central Florida secures the donations, and the volunteers, some of the middle and high school students, come back to help out, help mentor, and even help make a little girl's day. Miss Harris, we get to keep this stuff coming. We get to keep this stuff like I really enjoy, like, just seeing like their reaction like what's happening so like it kind of helps you like get through like the work because you know it's going towards like such a good cause like if I was a kid and I knew that someone was just going to bring me a bunch of like fun toys like that'd be pretty special to me um yeah I enjoy like just seeing the kids and their reactions just like even like from like track and cross country meets and then giving out toys it's always fun to see like their smiles it's enjoyable it's enjoyable to get out we have community among amongst ourselves and uh, working, working for the kids. I have 14 grandchildren and God bless them, they don't need a yeah. community like this to do shoes, but there are an awful lot of kids who do. And I believe we're here on earth, on this journey together to help each other. And through my life, I've always gotten you know, help and support and I think it is time to give back and, and to help. An entire community learning how good it feels to make a difference. Hungerford PE teacher Mike Gale says that what they do is fantastic. You know, um, Grow's doing a great job as far as providing us services that you know, we, right now we just don't have the funds to, to do much of anything right now. And it's really a big asset to our school, the help they're giving us. Still, running a volunteer organization isn't easy, and there are plenty of struggles and frustrations. You know, we put in a lot of grants, and that can be, you know, it's exciting to put them in, but every time they come back with a no, it, it hurts. 
You know, because you're like, why am I doing this? Why? 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 You know, why am I breaking my back? And the answer is? Because it's worth it. It's totally worth it. How's that for inspiration? Colleen Gonzalez proving that all it takes is just one person to step up and say, I'm going to try to make a difference. The truth is you almost never have to do it yourself because once people see someone else stepping up and actually making the effort, they're almost always willing to jump in themselves and lend a hand. When we come back, saving for retirement and what's on Mark's mind just might blow yours. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. For many, retirement is an adventure that holds endless possibilities. It's a time to do the things you've always dreamed about. Hopefully, you've saved and grown your money for retirement, but trying to determine exactly how much you'll need, well, that can be a daunting challenge. And while uncertainty is a part of life, there are some steps you can take to begin to figure it out, like start with your anticipated monthly expenses. Now, those are mortgage or rent, utilities, groceries, and the things you have to pay for. The Nonprofit Alliance for Lifetime Income has a simple guide for checking off the basics available on their website. Next, figure out what sources of protected income you have to cover them. Protected income is a source of money that you'll receive throughout retirement. There are only three potential sources of protected income. A company pension, which only a lucky few have anymore. Social Security, which covers only 40% of your pre-retirement income and annuities. There's a pretty good chance that once you calculate your protected income, there will be a gap, one that an annuity can help fill. And once you've covered your monthly expenses with protected income you can count on, well, you'll have the freedom to use the rest of your savings and investments to do the things you've always wanted to. The Alliance for Lifetime Income is a nonprofit educational organization that believes no one should have to face the prospect of running out of money in retirement. This organization has a library of easy-to-understand information, tools, guides, and stories of real-life Americans who have found ways to protect their retirement and have the freedom to live a bold life. More information at protectedincome.org, including recommendations on where and how best to find the right financial professional. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. 
Hi, Mark Middleton, and now we wrap it up with a little segment we call What's On My Mind. And I think, Bill, you know what's on my mind is on everyone's mind to some extent uh, because this is an incredibly difficult time for individuals and families and, and businesses, you know, making payroll, paying rent, staying healthy, missing our family and friends. You know, we're worried about traveling. We're worried about our kids or our grandkids in schools now. Uh, it's stressful. There's an epidemic of anxiety-related depressions all of which can be and, you know, very often do lead to unhealthy behaviors. Uh, too many of us are drinking too much, drug abuse is up, we're overeating, we're not getting enough sleep. And add all of that to the fact uh, which presents its own challenges, not the least of which is this ageist mindset that we all have because we live in this culture. So not only during these difficult times as we grow older, uh, you know, we, we, we step onto this slippery slope. It's easy to go downhill pretty, pretty quickly. And, and the reason I'm talking about this today, Bill, is, as you know, I've got a milestone birthday coming up. I'm turning 70 very, very shortly. And I think when we hit these milestone birthdays, whether it's 40 or 50 or 60 or 70, it's so easy now to use that as an excuse. Uh, it's why I don't feel good. It's, it's why I've lost muscle mass. It's why I've lost energy. It's why I don't get out and engage as much. And, and when you reach these milestone birthdays at a time like this, it's really, really easy to get overwhelmed. Uh, all of this I'm bringing up because, uh, as you know, I have forced myself to enter the U.S. National Long Course Swimming Championships coming up next month. And what I like about master sports, I'm aging up I'll be 70. I'll be able to compete against people in the 70 to 74-year-old age group. You know, so every five years, you're at the bottom of your age group, uh, which is something to look forward to. And now that I know I'll be stepping up on the starting blocks uh, next month and having to compete against the best guys my age in the world, uh, I'm trying to make myself sleep better. I'm trying to make myself eat better. I'm trying to make myself not lose muscle mass. I'm trying to make myself deal with the stress of day-to-day -day life. And I think if we all adapted, adopted, that mindset with every birthday. You know, when you look forward to a birthday, don't resent it or regret it. Plan for it. Try to hit that birthday in the best possible shape that you can because that is how we keep from stepping on the slippery slope. One of the, one of the most interesting things I've ever heard on this subject, Mark, came from you. When you talk about close your eyes and picture a 70-year-old in your mind's eye, what does that picture look like? I'm sure for most people it's very different than we're, you're on the starting blocks looking down the row at those other monster 70-year-old swimmers. So age does become a mental thing. We're responsible for if we'd sit down and, 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 and let bad things happen or if we step up and try to fight for the good. You know, you, you said it perfectly, Bill. Trite but true, age is a mindset. And unfortunately, 99.9% .9 of us have a mindset that uh, is not something that's flattering or active or powerful or interesting or sexual or, or any of that. Uh, it is just disease, depression, and disability. And that's not what it has to be. So when you get ready to age up, step up. And that's why Growing Boulder is here. It's a place where you can come, folks, and get a shot of inspiration, a shot of motivation to help your life move forward.